Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. What is resilience? Well, if we actually take the literal meaning, the literal meaning in Latin is resiliere, which means to bounce back, to bounce. And okay, bouncing, that would mean that you would not be rigid in your thinking. You would not be tough as nails as of course, you know, the, the true definitions of resilience, or you see it in the, the Webster dictionary, but it has this ability to have agility to bounce and go through and flow through the ebb and the flow, the contrast of life. Ever pondered how to turn life's curveballs into stepping stones for personal growth and resilience? Well, Nita Bushan, a genuine expert in resilience, has got the inside scoop. She's like a wizard of handling tough times and her secret mantra and book, That Sucked, Now What?, is a game changer for transforming setbacks into opportunities for growth. Nita's got four nifty principles to build up your resilience muscle. These nuggets invite you to look back on your past, sprinkle some good stress in your life, and make friends with all of your emotions, even the awkward ones. Her wisdom is like a lighthouse guiding you through life's stormy seas, not just surviving, but thriving. So come along on a journey towards a future full of purpose and joy, no more judgments or self-doubt and an embrace of profound self-acceptance. It's now time to tune into this very inspirational human being. Enjoy. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on what side of the world you are at today. I have another beautiful guest, and the guest today is the beautiful Nita Bushan. Or would you prefer Dr. Nita Bushan? No. Yeah, Nita is fine. Nita Bushan is fine. Perfect. Welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Catherine, for having me. It's exciting to be here. Well, and we finally got you here, so that's good. I know we've been going back and forth, so happy to have you here. So the way that we love to start the show, we always love to ask our guests to share the story. So, Nita, what inspired you to do what you do today? Oh, wow. So I think I've had several different moments of of inspiration and you know the the most recent moment that has really kind of honed in my trajectory of really wanting to help women all across the globe working women uh really embrace their emotions was when i actually became a mother 
Uh, and this was five years ago uh, when I started my motherhood journey. And it was also really a, a great time for myself to really dive into reparenting myself because the way that I grew up, I had to grow up really fast. I grew up in a in a big city of Chicago to immigrant parents. My dad was from India and my mom was from the Philippines. And so I was the oldest of three kids. And a lot of my early childhood and adolescence were hallmarked by losses because at 10, I became a caretaker to my mother who had her first journey and struggle with uh, breast cancer. And it later kind of spread and we lost her when I was 16. And then a year after that, my brother would have an asthma attack and collapse in front of his school doors. And two years after that, my dad would have stage four lung cancer and pass on 10 months later. So um, to say the least, I was a uh, an orphan at the age of 18 and a caretaker to my youngest brother, who was about 14 at the time. And so confusing, crazy hardship, crazy adversity. I was propelled into uh, what I like to call the achievement trap. Um, my parents did something really well, which was instill great values, especially around education. And so that was literally one of the things I held on to. It almost became a big coping mechanism and success became just like the chip on my shoulder. I write about that in my newest book. Um, but it also saved me in many ways. I think uh, for folks who go through such extreme adversity, there's, there's, and research has has done a bit on this. Either there's ways that you can thrive, or you know, go the other way, and and that was a holding force for me for now the next decade. And I would then get into uh, the greatest relationship of my life that would then teach me about self-love because one of the things that I knew how to do was get straight A's, do all the accolades, continue working. Uh, I built a practice. I became a cosmetic dentist. I was the poster child for inspiration and motivation in my town, my community, uh, to family members. And I was in a toxic and abusive relationship. And it wasn't until, you know, uh, December 31st, 2011, which was now over a decade ago, that I had made the decision to be brave and step into the full unknown. And, uh, and it's really informed a lot of the work that I do around what is resilience how do we lean into sucky moments and do they actually define you uh, as I've had my share of sucky moments? And that was the first time of instead of being this strong poster child girl who's always been known to be resilient, I was able to be uh, soft and fully break down uh, in order to break through to the next generation and evolution and iteration of myself which was a woman just coming back home to herself for the very, very first time. And I start out with, you know, the motherhood piece because it was only until I got into motherhood where I really started to dive into the nuances of my grief journey that I had really 
I had done pieces and pieces of work during my divorce. And when I became a mother, it was a very, very different thing because I was, I had postpartum depression with my son. And this was the first time that I really had to allow people to support me. And we all know that, uh, you know, for somebody who is for, for women who are so used to doing things on their own, so used to mothering, so used to holding the community, so used to building teams, so used to being the glue of their family. And then to kind of have a very vulnerable situation where you're in, and I have a whole birth story around that, but just, just in the receiving, I pushed back. And that was my greatest 2.0 version. I thought I did all the healing and, and everything, but it was the greatest resistance for me that I had to really break through and, and these conflicting emotions of a lot of what I didn't feel when I was growing up, the rage, the anger uh, of losing my parents and brother to medical diseases, I could not control. What I did learn how to control was, you know, myself in how I output to the world. But then you have this very small window of four to five months postpartum where you're needing support. And I was like, I'm going to do everything on my own. And we realized very humbly that I needed to ask for more help uh, in, in all of the ways. And now it's really shifted the way I have been so committed to helping other people embrace the duality of their emotions and build resiliency, uh, not just by being strong, but I have a, a unique formula around that as well. Wow. We can go in so many directions here. I have to, to the first thing that comes to mind is uh, what was that driver? I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like for you to endure so much pain at such a young age and was able to continue regardless of what was present. Like, yeah. was this innate in you, this resilience? Because obviously this is this is something we're going to unpack. But is this something that you had inside of you without really knowing that you had it inside of you? So I... And and this is when we're going to talk a little bit about this, but it's, it's one of the things that I now, you know, looking back and kind of even have written, you know, a few books about it. I think a lot of times it has to do with our upbringing, uh, you know, the, the, the environment that we were grown up in, that I was brought up in Filipino, Indian mindset, Asian immigrant mindset of work hard, you know, get the accolades, the straight A's, you know, be in dance, <laughs> don't talk to boys, you know, constantly busy yourself in the achievements. And I just remember early on in, um, you know, those, those formative years of, of my life, I was doing dance competitions. I was, um, you know, helping my brothers with their homework. I, you know, I was, uh, you know, doing the spelling bees. I mean, every stereotypical thing you could have that was literally instilled in me. And my very, very first job at 14, you know, my dad said, you've, you've got to start working over the summer. And this before, this was actually right before my mom was diagnosed. <clears throat> and then one job became three jobs very, very fast. And, um, 
I remember him just instilling, you have to know the value of money. And that was the biggest thing. And, and I, that always stuck with me and to just see how, you know, his whole community of friends and family members came through that particular path was something that, uh, that also helped shape my mindset early on in, okay, I am fully loved and taken care of. And the heart pouring of family, extended family, aunts and uncles, and even aunts and uncles we didn't even know, um, which were just friends, it was the community support and it really takes the village. And I can't tell you that I was, you know, raised by myself. I had a whole flock of, you know, um, women who were in many ways mother figures in the form of aunts and grandmas and things like that. Um, and, and that contributed to a lot of really who I am today. I would be lying if it didn't. Um, and I think that, you know, in one of the aspects of when we're building our bounce factor, and this is what I talk about, our bounce factor has four unique, distinct parts of your foundational level of building your resilience. And I talk about this in that suck now what specifically, uh, with the first part being making peace with your upbringing, because there were, while there were all of the great things that I'm sharing, there were a lot of things that weren't allowed. I wasn't allowed to cry when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. My dad kept saying, you're, you're strong, Nita. You're the oldest, you are the toughest, but God forbid I would break down, uh, because I don't think he'd know how to hold that. Uh, it, it was just, we were in such survival mode. Those emotions were just not part of the equation. It was go study, you know, that'll get your mind, you know, in, in top shape. And and we see this, you know, with military, with, uh, you know, the Marines and how they're so built, but then we see on the other hand, end of that, where there's so much PTSD because there was no room for those emotions. And, you know, going back and, and while I did have, you know, a lot of external success early on in life, um, you know, it would take me at least another uh, seven to 10 years to really start to heal, uh, you know, the the most pivotal times of my life. And, and to this day, I'm still reparenting myself. It's part of some of the, you know, the things that I get to share with, uh, with many of my students now. And it's such a pivotal point. Um, but the second factor is your current environment. If your current environment isn't supportive, you're not going to grow. And we've seen this, you know, we take water. What are we saying to the water? Is it going to nourish us or is it going to deplete us? Well, if we're saying bad things to the water, it's not going to really be the best thing for us to take. I mean, that's just one example, but we're also seeing this even with our children, you know, so, and, and with our current environment, one of the biggest things now looking back what I had, and I didn't even know it was a supportive community. I, I like to call this my soul support posse because it was, it was, uh, you know, while they had crazy expectations, um, which is a different conversation of, of success because there was no such thing as failure. Um, you know, I, I think that also contributed to during these really tough times to keep moving forward. There was something more, you have a North star you know, the Japanese would call it Ikigai, the, the Indians would call it, you know, or the, in, in Ayurveda, it's called uh, your Dharma. 
And so my dharma was to then transform a lot of this pain later on. I mean, one of the first things I did after I got out of my divorce with some capital that, you know, I had from my dental practice was to start a foundation. I started a foundation that was called Independent Awakening for Women and Girls. Because if I had the confidence in myself, you know, one of the things I lacked was being okay with being alone. And I would just hurry up in relationship and in relationship and in relationship. They were overlapped since I was in high school. And, you know, Catherine, it's, it's interesting when we look back at our patterns to see, okay, I was supported in one way, but then in the other ways, I wasn't really taught how to, and it was, it may have just been too painful to sit in that suck during that time. And it was a survival mechanism and I needed to be safe and okay in my body, in my nervous system, which I wouldn't find out years and years later. And, uh, and, and I think that, um, those are probably some of the pivotal points, you know, making peace with your upbringing and your, you know, where and what were the situations that were given to you either earlier in life. A lot of times it's bullying, um, or, you know, any sort of big T or little T traumas. But then for myself, it's figuring out, you know, the, that, that second piece is that, you know, the current environment and, uh, how can we be brave at sucking at, um, some new things that we want to explore, whether it is, uh, skill sets. And for me, it was trying to suck at being alone because for so many years I wanted to recreate a family that I'd lost. I love the, the term sucking because we all suck at something and I think it's just being aware of it. And I feel that with what you were describing, there is many of us that actually don't deal with a lot of us repress our emotions, repress, repress, and we just keep on going and, and not really be in our body and experience those feelings because of the fear of what might come out, the fear of what this might lead to. And so I love the way that you described that. Now, would you consider, and I'd really like to unpack what is yeah. resilience because this, there's, there's so many different meanings in my mind and different ways that I've heard what resilience is. I'd love to hear it from you. What exactly is resilience? Yeah. So, well, if we actually take the literal meaning, the literal meaning in Latin is resiliere, which means to bounce back, to bounce. And okay, bouncing, that would mean that you would not be rigid in your thinking. You would not be tough as nails as of course, you know, the, the true definitions of resilience, or you see it in the, the Webster dictionary, but it has this ability to have agility to bounce and go through and flow through the ebb and the flow, the contrast of life. And, you know, this is a uh, counter uh, indicative of what I grew up knowing the definition of resilience was, which means, you know, to be strong, to be tough. Yet if we take, you know, a glass of water, just a glass, and if I drop it and the properties of glass are strong, they're, it's tight, it's, 
uh, it's tough. Well, if I, I break it and if it drops, it's going to shatter into a million pieces. Now, on the other hand, if I have a bouncing ball that I get from one of my kids, you know, birthday parties, well, if I let that go, that's, that's going to give. And why? Because when I squeeze it, it has the properties of softness, suppleness, uh, agility, flexibility. And so that's what I'm defining resilience as. It's being able to embrace the duality, even times, even times, sometimes the paradox that, you know, through grief, there could be slivers of joy, you know, through heartache, there could be slivers of happiness if we allow it, you know, and to your point, what you were just sharing so often, you know, when we're going through a tough time, you know, we think, oh my gosh, if I, if I feel that I'm going to be stuck in there. And there's two schools of thought. There are the camp that if I feel that emotion, I, I, I can't go back. And I was one of those. I was the, I would bypass my emotions. I would be toxically positive. And I would say, you know, I got this. It's not as worse as the other one. It's not so bad because that was a survival mechanism. It was a coping mechanism. There's nothing wrong on my part. It's just, that's what my body knew how to do. And it served me until it didn't, until I got burnt out many times. Um, and so that's one group of people. And usually they are high achieving. Usually they've accomplished, you know, many things. And you would argue that maybe they have more innate resiliency because they are able to tolerate being in the uncomfort for a little bit longer than the average person. So that's one side. The other side is they get stuck in the suck. They enjoy being in the suck. They enjoy that's their identity that they have created and they cannot take action because they're, they're ruminating on, oh my gosh, the past was so bad. I don't know if I'll ever find love again. Everything bad happens to me. And it's almost this like glass half empty approach. And it's almost like they're addicted to this idea that nothing is ever going to get better for them or for their plight. And so this is this is where we have now. Obviously, the extremes are not so great. Um, but for the majority of people, we are afraid of staying there. But guess what? If we are allowed to just feel and acknowledge our emotions to, and I have many exercises, of course, in the book uh, that literally starts to help you build that muscle in the tiniest ways. And the first one is just putting your hand over your heart, you know, and just taking the deepest breath that you've taken all day. And just noticing because we're so quick to numb, suppress, repress, push down, avoid, pick up our devices, get a dopamine hit quickly, you know, focus on the next thing. And in a society where now the odds are it's so easy to just swipe and swipe and keep moving forward. It is our right to take that back to say, you know what? I'm going to sit in this suck right now 
because research shows that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to fully feel an emotion where it doesn't get fully stuck in our bodies. And, you know, I became so fascinated with this, uh, having seen both of my parents go through, you know, cancers and, and seeing the, you know, the emotional, the meta side of how emotions are definitely stored in the body. And, you, and, you know, you're, you're nodding your head here. And, and so that was the biggest thing for me that I could probably end generational, you know, karmas, uh, with my own family going forward. If I begin to start paying attention to those emotions and teaching other people how to, to do that as well. Oh, this, as you were speaking, I was just thinking about, you know, even like the type of work that we do, um, I, I, if I feel a certain emotion at times, those sucky emotions, I say to myself, you shouldn't be feeling that way, Catherine, you should know better. And so what I naturally do is, is I actually uh, repress my emotion. But what you did about the hand on the heart, I notice that when I do that, it's because I'm in my head. I'm stuck in stories and I'm I'm hanging on to these narratives that I should not feel this way. And the moment I drop out of my head into my heart, there's this sense of knowing and a sense of stillness that is very different. So I love the fact you you, you brought that. Um, I really felt that. And the other thing, when you were talking about the those that like to be stuck in the suckness, and I see this a lot, so I'd love to hear it from you. I see that sometimes they hang on to those narratives because it serves a purpose. There's a secondary gain. And so it could be that if I hang on to this story long enough, I will continue to get the attention I need. I will continue to get the help that I need. I will continue to get the love that I need. And so, and I see this a lot, Nita. So I'd love to hear how do we help these people come out of their sucky moments and understand that there's a lot more than being stuck and being in that situation. Oh, yes. Yes. It's, it's one of the reasons why I, uh, I started this challenge, you know, 10 days to suck at something new. And, you know, I, 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 I make it light and I make it fun and I make it, um, we've got to start being able to be playful with ourselves and our, stories. You know, it's, it's one of the hallmarks also of resilience that, you know, one of the biggest things that I did after my divorce was I took a stand-up comedy class. I took an improv class and it was literally to, I became fascinated with comedy and stand-up comedians because many times they would go through really big pains in their life. And not only were they just remarkable storytellers, but there was something that they could actually make fun of what they had been through and they could still, you know, make their point without getting stuck in the story. It's almost like they're using their story for purpose. They're using their story to fuel laughs for somebody else. They're using their story to fuel maybe a different outcome to also get laughs at the end, but it's done in such a beautiful way. And um, I wouldn't call myself a, a stand-up comedian, but I, I I do tend to be light in many of my talks when I can be. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is 
you know, especially for people who are stuck in that narrative. And I know like you, Catherine, it's, it is, it's, it's, of course you're getting attention. Why we all know and have an aunt or two or three who's like, oh my gosh, my headache. I just have the same headache and nothing, nothing ever helps. And, you know, and then, you know, the friend is also like, oh, you too, but my headache is even worse than it was like since last week. And I've just been having this back pain. And so it's just like, you know, the, the battle of the hurts. And while, you know, we can poke fun at this, why I'm bringing this up is, well, A, we all know people who are like this, you know, and B, it's it's scary. It's scary when we're trying to figure out a new belief system. It's scary when we're trying to change something that maybe has served us for so long. And, you know, when I left, and this is a other really big example, but when I left my divorce over a decade ago and I started to ask to speak on behalf of, you know, domestic violence associations and women who were stuck in that victim cycle, I had to choose wisely uh, because I also had a foundation because in my mind, I did not want to be stuck in that narrative. And I didn't want to be pegged at, as this person that only talks about, you know, um, the things done to you. Because I knew deep inside that I chose those people because I was not seeing my worth and my value. And I would hold on because I was so afraid of my core wounds. So two people who are kind of in this um, stuckness, I invite you, and this is part three of my book, it's called the Fly Forward Framework. The first part is recognizing we have a fall. And the second part is literally your ignition. The ignition to make a decision, to be observant and aware Ooh, am I going to just continue going around in circles and circles and circles with some of the people in those circles because it makes me feel good because the fear of the unknown is so much greater and I don't know what to expect or anticipate. So I'm going to continue to play small. I'm going to continue to not take the leap, to only have one foot in and one foot out. I'm going to continue to not get support, not get help, not work with a coach, not work with somebody like you, not read the books. Because I like this reality or am I curious, which is then stage three rising, where I'm curious at a new reality. I don't know how to start. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm curious and I'm like a phoenix rising from the ashes and I'm going to slowly stand up and I'm going to wobble and I'm going to fall. I'm not going to be good at it and I'm going to probably suck, but I'm going to start doing it and that's where we start to gain a new confidence. We start to replace fear with curiosity. We start to replace the emotions of skepticism with openness. You can still live in the duality and the paradox of both of those. That's why life is so beautiful. We have so many of these and it is complex. And that's why, you know, the subtitle of my book is how to embrace the joy in chaos and find magic in the mess because therein lies your magic. 
And then from rising, when we get just a little bit more confident, it's kind of like when my toddler started to walk and she would walk a couple of steps and then she'd fall, walk a couple of steps and she'd fall. And now she's two and she's like, mama, I'm okay. I'm okay. And she'll like trip over something. And I'm like, Rah. and she's like, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, you're up. You're okay. You do you. So it's, they have that confidence and then they get into magnifying. And that's where, you know, whatever it is for me, it was shifting the narrative to helping women and girls reach internal confidence because that's really the problem that I was solving back then when I had my organization, Independent Awakening, uh, and giving them the tools so that they can start loving themselves from within and not looking outward for whomever to help save them. They were able to save themselves. And so then we get into the final stage, which is thriving. And thriving is not that you are <laughs> no longer privy to any falls. In fact, you probably will have more falls just because you have more awareness and you are taking bigger risks and you are taking bigger leaps and you're also having more brave conversations because you are now making sure nobody's taking advantage of your boundaries. In fact, you are so solid in your core that you're actually okay with even pissing people off. You're okay with not people pleasing anymore. You are okay with figuring out what's best for you. And that is flourishing. And that could also look like volunteering at certain organizations that could look like starting your own tiny little group that could look like starting a new venture. Um, and it also 100% looks like taking personal responsibility for where we are. And that is the biggest uh, gift we can give ourselves. The biggest, yeah, absolutely. It's the biggest. And it does take uh, a level of self-awareness, I think, because I think that what happens is we get so caught up in the busyness of life, especially these days, and for many years, I should say, I used to say uh, busyness is the new stupid because we're just constantly externalizing everything. We're looking for external validation, external, um, uh, I'm good enough, whatever that may be. But that takes a lot of uh, courage as well to go within, to actually face those inner demons, those inner stories, whatever they are for you. I was wondering whether, because I know you've been through a lot. And so... Mm -hmm. Do we need to go through a lot to be resilient or is there resilience in every single one of us and we just need to know how to activate it? Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm working on a TED talk right now and with a lot of the research that goes into doing a TEDx talk, um, I believe that, you know, resilience that, that people believe that they are more resilient than they actually are. And when push comes to shove, that they may not have all of the tools and no, they don't need to go through extenuating circumstances in order to build resilience. Yet when I talk about it, and there's a chapter in my book um, that is entitlement versus privileged. And I talk about this because it's so important when we're building resiliency, our ability to bounce from life's happenings. It starts, you know, when I shared in your bounce factor 
uh, and the first two we talked about, but the other two is your emotional capacity to feel. So how long are you willing to be okay sitting in discomfort? And we see this now with child psychologists. And of course I'm, you know, geeking out on this because I have two young ones where they are now saying, you know, in order to build your child's, uh, you know, tolerance to failure or resilience, essentially, how often are you helping them? You know, when you're, when they're, when they're struggling with a shoe and they're trying to tie their shoelaces, but you're so quick to just do it for them. Okay. Cause we got to go, we got to get in the, we got to go to camp. We got to go to school instead of letting them struggle and, and sort it out and figure it out. These are the baby steps to helping them in this new generation build resiliency. What we're hap- what we're seeing happening, and and this goes back to a very long time ago uh, when I had sold my practice and my first book just came out, and I was asked uh, not only to speak at Google, um, and but I was in that same area in a very prominent school a mom from that school in that particular area had reached out and she said, um, would you be able to come and speak to the moms here? You've been through, you've lost both of your parents and you've been through a lot of loss. Can you speak to the high school students, uh, to the, to the moms, because we've lost three of our students this year to suicide. And so she asked me the same thing. She said, is it because you went through so much that you were able to take on this amount of adversity or can we teach our students not to give up and to build it from within? And that's where my fascination and curiosity grew even more. And this was about seven years ago. And what I told those mothers is that we cannot you know, we can't solve every single problem for them Uh, because it's so easy to say, oh, we're going on a ski trip this weekend. Johnny's not going to be able to get his homework done. He'll just get it done for you next week. Oh, you know, Marie got a, a B, but she worked really hard. And I see this a lot in those kinds of environments where uh, you have everything at your fingertips and this, and the parents come in to solve But then when they get into college, they get into their first heartbreak and then they want to end their life because they cannot cope with the emotions of discomfort, of rejection, of disappointment, of stress. And we have, and this is such a bigger issue. uh, and, And I use those examples because they are real world examples And can you start doing something today in your own lives? Well, just look at some of the ways that we can actually uh, build good stress. And this is what I talk about in the second part of my book, looking at your current environment. Can you actually build good stress in your current environment? Okay. If, you know, we have, we've got Uber at our fingertips to order food. We've got all of the things and the devices, but can I actually go and, you know, make my own meal? I'm giving you an example, sit in a cold shower for two minutes, 
uh, or do a cold plunge for, you know, three minutes, as they say, for all the great benefits. We do not like that at all. I don't know a single person that says, all right, I'm just going to sit in my cold plunge for 20 minutes. But we know from a biological level, you know, the, the benefits are wild. And also we are training our body for that stress, for that these micro changes through our cellular level that will be, you know, helping with inflammation and all of these processes. But guess what? It's also activating parts of our brain to rewire. It's also activating that neural plasticity. So can resilience be built? Yes. We have to expose ourselves to good stress. What can that look like in an every single day conversation? Well, have more difficult conversations. Be willing to say, hey, you know that thing that you said to me? That kind of hurt. In fact, I, I just felt that you didn't really care about me because you were on your phone the entire time. And I thought this was a conversation for the two of us. Instead of putting it under the rug, instead of brushing it off, instead of, you know, we are so afraid of conflict and confrontation now that we're just willing to ghost I see this all the time when I talk to corporate environments. They're like, can you help us? Because we're, they don't even tell us when they like quit. They just don't show up. We've lost the ability to be face to face and say, hey, you know, you must be a great person, but you, maybe you're just not my person. Good luck to you in this dating world or however. But I'm giving this example because it's true. We've lost all dynamics. So we text when we're upset or we ghost when we're upset. Can you lean in and have one difficult conversation? It might stir some ruffles, but come from a place of love and respect not only for yourself, but for the other person. That is one of the biggest ways that we can start. And there's so many other ways. I'm giving you this example because I know so many people literally run the opposite direction when I say, you know, conflict resolution. And um, it's so interesting because we're starting to teach our oldest how to have conflict resolution, how to listen to each other. But it's like, what if we learned all of that in school and started practicing that early on? So I know. Can you imagine? Uh, and it is, I love it. It's so simple. Uh, facing into the things that you're uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So if it's about having that conversation, have that courageous conversation, lean into it rather than, uh, you know, shun away from it. And I was just thinking there was a, a, a quote that dropped in, I think it's from Napoleon Hill, that with every adversity uh, comes a seed of an op opportunity, which always makes me think that whatever life throws at us, it's the meaning we give whatever pr is presented to how then we react or respond to the situation. Um, so, and I feel like, and you were saying, even like when you're going through uh, those, you know, a dark night of the soul through those sad moments, there might be slithers of happiness or slithers of joy. Uh, so I love the fact that you brought that up. Uh, Nita, I'm also very conscious of your time. I do want to unpack your book, which I love. That sucked. What now? How did you come up with the title? Oh gosh, uh, that sucked. Now what? So, you know, it's, it was a mantra that when my, I mean, literally when my husband and I got together, 
we would, we love to poke fun, but you know, this was also a mantra that, uh, you know, during some of my dark times when I was actually single going through the healing journey, it would be something that I would say. And when my husband and I, then we would pick poke fun, say, well, that sucked. Now what? And so it was just kind of a thing that then started to grow when we got together in relationship. And in my book, uh, you know, the first thing that I teach when something doesn't go as planned is to give it a mantra, give it a mantra. And I've, you know, in, for my students, some people will say, well, Hakuna Matata, right? And so for me, it was like, that sucked. Now what? I'm giving you this mantra to actually say it out loud, anchor it, give it voice. Because many times when you are actually sharing how you feel, because what that sucked actually means is it's acknowledging what didn't go well. It's not saying this sucks. It's not saying we're still stuck in the suck right now. We're acknowledging what sucked. That sucked. And now we're actually saying, okay, now what? I can't change the past. I can only focus on what's next. And so I'm choosing, shall I sit in my suck? That's fine. Let's process it. Shall I start moving on towards action? That's fine too. Shall I do nothing? That's fine too. But I'm giving you a mantra to actually sum it up so that you always have that tool to anchor, to feel it, to release it, and possibly transform it into something that you can use or that you can pay it forward for somebody else. Do you give yourself a time, like when you're saying that when you're when you acknowledge now that sucked, how long do you stay in that? Like, do you give yourself a time frame? Yes, yes. So any time that we're working with an emotion, I always say you can set the timer for five minutes. You can set your timer for five minutes, and this is a quick uh, example of what I can share with you. All right, something didn't go wrong. You didn't get the you know promotion. The client didn't land. Kids are just doing things all over the place. You're just not having the best morning. Set your timer for five minutes. You can say, that sucked. Now what? That sucked. Now what? Put your hand over your heart and take a deep breath and say, that sucked. Now what? Blow it out and just hold it there. Because what we're actually doing is we're building connection Putting our hand over our heart actually activates our parasympathetic nervous system because we're constantly in our minds as you shared earlier. And so this activates oxytocin and it's that connection hormone back to ourselves. Nobody else. This is why hugs are so important, but if you can't hug anyone, can you actually embrace yourself? Can you actually put your hand over your heart to remind yourself that now what? I can't change the past. I wish I could have controlled what happened. It didn't happen in the way that I wanted. Meet this suck as a friend. And if we want to get really advanced, we can shake, we can tap, we can move the energy, we can move the emotion. Uh, you know, students have created all kinds of emotional embodiment practices. We have a few in the book that are kind of fun. 
Um, there's uh, something that I talk about, which is called the dinosaur dance in the book. If you're doing this as a mom with kids, uh, that's been really fun. Or you could just rage it out. Uh, we have a rage playlist that you can have access to. Um, you could throw pillows out in the air. Again, when we are even activating our throat chakra or our vagus nerve, releasing, screaming, just even humming, mm, this activates our vocal cords and this actually soothes our nervous system. This brings us back into homeostasis inside of our bodies so that we're not reacting <laughs> and then saying the craziest things to the, you know, amazing people around us that we're actually giving our bodies a sense of calm. And, 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 and if, if people want to scream, shout, dance, cry, we, we've had all sorts, but you know, when you're working with something in the suck immediately, five minutes, if you are working on grief, for example, I know we've talked a lot about grief today. Um, I set my timer for 15 minutes if I'm working through a grief emotion. Uh, and so why I like timers is it gives our brain an opportunity to go there. And you're setting that intentionality to clear out the stuff that we've been carrying. How often are you intentional with that? We're intentional by going to the gym and working our bodies out and, and going on the treadmill or whatever course and, and action you take. But can we go to the gym for our emotions to process through them, to sit with the discomfort, to actually sit in it, to say, oh gosh, that was so painful, to give it a landing pad. And then when you're done, it's like, okay, thank you for showing me what I needed to learn today about myself, giving it gratitude, but also acknowledging the space. Sometimes there will be an anecdote. Sometimes there will be a lesson. It doesn't have to happen all the time. I love that. And you made me think of when I have my sucky moments, I actually skip. And, uh, and that's the way to snap myself out of what I'm experiencing and going through. So movement is a big part for me. And I love the fact, and it brings in what you were talking about. You know, you can have some fun with it. I think we, as we become um, mature in our time, as adults, we become boring. We yeah. become so serious. We become, we become so contained in our box and let's move it around, you know, let's give it a shape. Let's give it a name. Uh, and, and it, you know, let's give it a place where we can just pour into, uh, in some of our live events, we'll just have like a collective kind of circle where, you know, we'll throw whatever in it that we're releasing and letting go as a metaphorical representation of what we no longer want to carry. And you can do this just by writing out simple exercise. And I have more of these in the book, but it's a simple exercise that you could just write out what you're no longer carrying, crumple up the paper or set it on fire in a contained environment, of course, and thank it, but that you're mm -hmm. no longer carrying that. I love that. Yeah. There's a real ritual. I think that you're, I always say, if you can name it, you can tame it. And I'm mm -hmm. big on rituals, like uh, using the elements of fire and, and I bring it in to 
you know, on my Palo Santo, whatever that is that I'm doing at the time <laughs> yeah, as a I way to it. release, but it does really help using the tools as a way to work with whatever you're working with, whatever resonates with you at the time. So I love the fact that you brought that up. Um, before we go, Nita, I'd love to maybe unpack a little bit about your book. What will the readers get out of your book? I know we've touched a lot about your book and we'll have it in the show notes, but love to really kind of like unpack your book and what what was the I guess the the driver for you to write this book I know that you've gone through a lot and it was your way to help others um find it it's, it's almost like you created a pathway you know mm-hmm. for, for people to travel down this road to there is a way out it's it's it, there's not you're not stuck yeah and I think you've just said it, right? I think my my mission and the takeaways for the book is to help you redefine what resiliency is. Maybe you can start even building and strengthening your foundation for when sucky moments do happen and in the slightest times or in the biggest ways and to help you figure out what that bounce factor looks like for you and to help you ultimately fly forward past challenges, obstacles, setbacks so that you can have more joy, you can have more abundance, you can have the love and the life that you want to build while you are also being able to sit in sometimes life's fullest experiences without judgment and to help you build your emotional resilience toolkit. And in ways where, you know, we weren't given ways to conflict, have a conflict resolution or have brave conversations, you start to learn how to create those boundaries and use those tools for yourself in your interpersonal relationships. Mm, Love it. The way that we love to wrap up the show. And before we do, I want to apologize that I had a moment of dyslexia when I uh, was talking about your book instead of saying now what I said what now Uh, so I do apologize wanted to apologize the way that we end the show we love to ask our guests to leave three shiny gold nuggets for our audience so they could be like three practical exercises that you would like to leave with our audience today oh well the first one is if you are feeling disconnected with your body and we've talked about this throughout You can have your five finger exercise of coming back into your body, coming back to your home, coming back to your center, just by putting your hand over your heart and acknowledging you. And that takes a minute tops, even more if you wanted to, but to really allow yourself to feel. So that's the first. The second is embrace the suck, embrace what sucked. And allow yourself to sit in it, allow yourself to not judge it, allow yourself to meet it with a friend, allow yourself to see its wisdom and that we can always shift out of that and know that, you know, take 60 to 90 seconds to fully feel an emotion. And then finally, finally, we know that resilience is, you know, resilient, which means to bounce back. So I've shared, you know, the four principles to uh, build that bounce factor in, you know, that is, uh, if we're going to do a full recap, it's making peace with your past or your upbringing, looking at your current environment and how you can build good stress. Third is 
feeling the full feels, building that emotional capacity to feel. And then the final one is your RSA, your radical self-awareness so that you can start to see what's in alignment with you and what you still need to heal and integrate in your life. I love all three. Thank you. And they're really simple and easy to remember. So where is the best place for our peeps to find you? Where do you hang out the most? Oh gosh. Uh, well, Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Nita, I can't thank you for enough for coming on the show. It's been amazing. And I had so many questions. So I think we're going to have to have you back on the show because I didn't even ask half of the questions that I wanted to ask you today. But thank you for your time, your energy, and your beautiful way of describing it in such a simple way for us to understand and very digestible. So thank you once again. Thank you so much, Catherine. You were just amazing in the way that you such a great interview asker and you kind of synthesize and weave everything in. It's such a, it's such a joy. So appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. Namaste. Thank you. Beautiful. Namaste. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, Sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.